You know, it has been said that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we want to know you. We want to know you and your son, Jesus. We want to grow in our faith, grow in our relationship with you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray that today, Lord, as we look into your word, that you would make these scriptures come alive for us, Lord. We thank you, Father. Bring it home. Bring it home to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Of course, he is God. We know that. He is the second person of the Trinity fully divine. And he is God in the flesh. God in the flesh. We're going to be talking more about that today. A very important truth. God in the flesh. The writer to the Hebrews put it so powerfully, and I'm reading now from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times, time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That says it all, doesn't it? Jesus now is the revelation of God. God has spoken for ages past through the prophets. But now he has spoken through his Son. Yes, Jesus is God with us, according to Matthew one twenty three, And he has come for us, as the prophet Isaiah declared, and as Mercy's child has sung to us today, for unto us a child is born, unto us. A son is given unto us. Praise God. That's what makes all the difference in the world. He has come unto us. That's the message of Christmas. And even though these aren't my main scriptures today, it's amazing how they all connect together. The coming of Jesus was an act of love. He came as the giver of grace. He came to bring us love life. So let's read about his coming. We're going to look at two main passages today. One is from John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1, and also Philippians chapter 2. These passages teach us about the incarnation of Christ, and that's a big word. We don't use it very often today except in reference to Jesus, the incarnation comes from the Latin meaning in flesh, incarnate, incarnation. Jesus came in the flesh. In today's message, I would like to present two truths revealed from these scripture passages. Number one, in the incarnation of Christ, we see what God became for us. And number two, 
in the incarnation of Christ, we see what God would have us become in Christ. So we'll begin by reading John 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without, without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who was in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. May the Lord bless his word. So here Jesus Christ is called the Word. The Greek term is logos, logos, L-O-G-O-S. It's a term that we, it's incorporated in a lot of our English words today. Every word that ends with ology, like theology, geology, hematology, whatever it might be, that comes from the Greek word logos. It means the word, in some cases, like study of. The ancient Greek philosophers used this term, logos, to explain the principle that holds the universe together. You know, the, the philosophers like Aristotle and Plato, they, they thought of logos as the principle that holds the world, the universe, together. And more importantly, the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament present God's word as his immutable uh, utterance. It holds the, the authority of the Almighty himself. So in the Old Testament, over and over, we hear about the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came through this, this prophet or that prophet. The word of the Lord. There's power in that. It, it holds the authority of God himself. So as the Logos, 
Jesus is, is the very expression of God. The very expression of God. So we, we might be able to say that the second person of the Trinity is God expressed. God in his expression. It all starts with the phrase, in the beginning. Now where have you heard that before? <laughs> in the beginning. Actually, uh, uh, of course we know it's, it's found in Genesis 1.1. Uh, that statement in the beginning it's the very first phrase or very first Hebrew word in the Bible Bereshith and it means in the beginning and that uh, of course it's no accident that the Holy Spirit led the Apostle John to begin his gospel with that same phrase in the beginning tying Jesus in with the act of creation because as we will see in these following verses Jesus was there. Jesus was part of it. Jesus pre-existed the creation itself. Praise God. In the beginning. So actually verse 1 gives us three statements about the word or Jesus. And uh, one is that he was in the beginning. That shows that he is eternal. Shows his eternality. And he's also identified with the creator of Genesis 1. Secondly, it says he was with God. He was with God. This shows a mutual fellowship, a close relationship with God the Father. There's an interrelationship between the persons of the Trinity. And thirdly, it says, and the word was God. So he is of the very essence of God, one being, one being. Three persons, but one being. Now, only the concept of the Trinity can make any sense out of this. Because somebody who reads this without an understanding of the triune nature of God may see it as nonsense. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. What? What is it saying? Well, as we look at it in the light of the Trinity, it certainly makes sense. God is three in one and one in three. One being, but three persons. And then verse three declares the word's part in the creation of the universe. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now that's a very sweeping statement. There's nothing that was made. Well, everything we can see was made. Everything in the universe, everything that we can measure with their instruments and so forth in the universe was made. So all of that was made through Jesus. There's nothing in all the universe that wasn't made through Jesus. And incidentally, this destroys the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses because they say that Jesus was the first thing created. Then everything else was created. But it emphatically says that that's not the case here in this, in this verse 3, because it says all things were made through him, and nothing that was made, I mean, everything that was made was made through him. So we know that Jesus had a part in creation. I can't really explain what part he had, exactly what he did. I wasn't there. It would certainly be beyond my comprehension, but Jesus, as the eternal word, had a part in the creation of all of the universe. 
And, and verse 4 then brings, us to a, brings it all to the human level. We've been looking at the universal cosmic level. Now we come down to the human level, and it relates it to us. Verse 4, I'll read that again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. So we, see, we read about life and light. And these are some of the key terms. As you study the Gospel of John, these are some of the concepts that are brought forth over and over and over in the Gospel of John. Life and light, among other concepts also. And then verse 5 contrasts the light with the darkness. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That word comprehend there can also mean to overtake. It shows a definite superiority of light over darkness. When Jesus came on the scene, the darkness didn't stand a chance, praise God. It's like when you turn on the light in a dark room, where's the darkness? It's not there anymore. And and actually, this reminds me of a passage that I preached from earlier this year in Psalm 139, verse 12. It says, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the darkness shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. And I remember at that time when I preached on that, I was talking about how Certainly, the light dispels darkness. Light is superior. So that when Jesus came into the world, there was, an, of course, an immediate clash between light and darkness. We see that over and over in the, in the account of Jesus and his opponents. There's always this tension, this clash, this reaction. But the light always wins. Remember that. In your life, the light will always win. Praise God. And then verses 6 and 7 bring in the historical context. You see, God used a man. God uses people. God used a man, John, and this, this John is talking about here is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. He, he introduced the word to the world. He had a very key role to fulfill. It's interesting here in this account in John chapter 1, it doesn't mention Mary by name, it doesn't mention Joseph, but it mentions John the Baptist. And this, this John chapter 1, I like to call it, this is the Christmas story according to John. We don't see any mention of the angels and the shepherds and all that, but we do, it does tell us what happened. The Word became flesh, as we're going to see here in just a moment. That is the Christmas story in the Gospel of John. But it does mention one other man, and that is John the Baptist. And uh, it says that all through him might believe. John's purpose in writing this, John the Apostle wrote this, of course, to believe, is that we might believe, as it says in, in, the, la- in the second to the last chapter of John's Gospel, John 20, verse 31, But these are written 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And even so, John the Baptist came so that people would believe, to believe. John was stirring up, plowing up the soil, so to speak, getting things ready for the coming of the Messiah, and so that people would believe, so that we would believe. These things are all recorded for us, that we may believe. And praise God, verse 12 tells us what happens to those who believe on Christ Jesus. Those who receive him as the word, the logos, in their lives. It says they are given the right to become children of God. The word right there can also be translated authority. They have the authority to become children of God. Of God, we who were enemies of God, we were we who were part of the darkness, now are translated into the kingdom of light, and we, when we believe on Jesus, we have the right. Now we become children, rightful children of God, through faith in Jesus. That's amazing. To those who believe on His name, and verse thirteen shows us that it is God's work not our work. As it says here, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're all born physically. We're all born naturally. But praise God, we can also be reborn, born again, spiritually. And that's what it's talking about here. And that doesn't come about by human ingenuity, human resourcefulness, or anything. It comes about, it's a work of God. Praise God. And then verse 14, the incarnation. The incarnation. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, John writes. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John was an eyewitness. John the Apostle who wrote this was an eyewitness. And he tells us the word became flesh. So if there's any doubt in reading the first 13 verses, well, who is that word? Is that, is that really Jesus? How do we know? This makes it very clear. It's Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's Jesus, that Word, who was there in the beginning with the Father. He became flesh, and that's the, the, the in, miracle of the Incarnation. He became a human being, part of the human race, one of us. That's the wonder of God's plan. You know, it was, it was necessary for him to become flesh in order to be our Savior. This was part of God's eternal plan of salvation. It was necessary because the wages of sin is death. In order for our sins to be atoned for, there had to be a perfect sacrifice. Only Jesus fulfilled that. Only Jesus could, could have been our, our Savior. There was no one else in all of the universe that could be our Savior. Jesus had to become a man, 
and he had to live a perfect life. Just think of it. For some 33 years, he lived, never sinned, never had a bad attitude, never violated the laws of God. He lived a perfect life, went through temptations as we do, but never sinned. Praise God, that's amazing. And then, at the end of that, as a reward for all of that, he suffered and died for our sins. He suffered and died for our sins so that we could be saved. And that's, that is so amazing that he who knew no sin could, as Mercy's Child also saying today, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's so amazing. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And that's what we want to share with people. First of all, help them to get to see that they need a Savior and then show them that Jesus has come to be that Savior for all of us. Praise God. Now, I want to point out that he never stopped being God. He never stopped being God. He was always the Word. He always has been, always will be the Word. But he also took on a human nature. And that's where we have the mystery of the two natures of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, many, many centuries ago, the, the church has come to grips with that truth. And it is a settled truth that Jesus has two natures, the divine, and also he took on a human nature when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, now in our next passage that we're going to look at, Philippians chapter 2, we will look more closely at the implications of what this all means for us, that the word became flesh. Uh, one more thing I just want to mention here is that in, in verse 14 of John chapter 1, is that it says he, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there literally means he tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent here with us. Now that, to me, indicates that, for, number one, it was a temporary thing. He wasn't, he wasn't here uh, on this earth for a, a long term, but he was here amongst us in this wicked world for a short time. But he, he tabernacled. But also it shows us, you know, the tabernacle has immense significance in the Old Testament. That was God's place where he dwelt among man. God dwelt among man in the tabernacle, even in the wilderness. So when Jesus tabernacled, um, uh, 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 dwelt among us, he tabernacled with us. He was here as the presence of God on this earth. So there's tremendous imagery in all of, the, in all of this. And it also says he was full of grace and truth. Those, those are inseparable. And verse uh, 16 and 17 expand on this. God's purpose for us is grace, his unmerited favor. It's only grace that can reconcile us to God and allow us to live with him eternally. That's God's plan. He wants, us, he wants to impart his grace to us so that we can be forgiven, saved, sanctified, dwell with him in heaven Dwell with him forever. That's the message that John later brings out in John 3, 16 and 17. You all know that. 
says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Now we know that there's a lot of grace in the Old Testament too. <laughs> and you know, so it's not saying that Moses was just law. Through Moses is also the message of the coming Messiah. But I think that what it's showing us here is that the message of grace was perfected in Jesus. We only had a glimpse of his grace in the Old Testament, but now he has come to perfect that grace for us. Verse 18 reminds us that no one can see God in his deity. Nobody. But in Jesus Christ, we do see God. As the word, he declares God to us. And I think of that, the words to that Christmas song, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. It's Jesus. In Philippians 2, we're going to move to that now, the Apostle Paul translates this into the historical details of the life of Jesus, especially his humiliation and his death for us, as well as his ultimate exaltation. So we're going to read now from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death." even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in he heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may be blameless, you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So in this very practical lesson of how we are to live as Christians, 
The Apostle Paul presents some of the deepest truths of who Jesus is and why he came. Verse 6 corresponds with John 1, 1. Jesus' divine nature. Uh, We read the verse 6 there. uh, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So he was already God. But he he willingly came. In, In the Greek I think it says he emptied himself. Not of his deity but of the 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 privileges of deity. He became a human being. He became a human being and came to live among us. And in verses 7 and 8, they correspond with John 1.14. The word became flesh. He became fully man. What a contrast. He's coming now to earth as a servant. Here, the creator, all things were made through him. The galaxies, all of that was made through him. Now he's becoming a, he's coming here as a servant. It's amazing. Jesus was willing to go, I mean, sorry, to let go of his divine prerogatives. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but willingly humbled himself and became a human being, a lowly human being, a slave. Whose only function is to be obedient. That's what a slave is for, to be obedient. Jesus came in that way. His obedience was to the point of death. Not only that, but it was the death of the cross, the worst imaginable death. And this was his purpose in coming. He died for our sins. Now, the Apostle Paul is careful then to show that because of this, Jesus now is exalted. He has been exalted and given the name above every other name. He is declared Lord. He is Lord. He is God. So from death to resurrection to exaltation. And remember, he is still both God and man. I believe he will be God and man for all eternity. He's, a, he's glorified now, but he still has the human nature. And when we, there will, someday we will see him. We will see him someday. <clears throat> so this all explains, <clears throat> excuse me, the first point of our message, that in the incarnation of Christ we see what God has become for us. And that's the only way that we could be saved. You know, I, I sometimes say that there's no fictional story that could be conceived by the mind of man that could have a more amazing twist to it than this. You know, we've got the problem of sin. God, a loving God and a sinful humanity. How, how are we going to solve that problem? Well, God made a way. He became man. God became man. He suffered for our sins. That's love. There's no human fictional story that could be more amazing than that. And Paul's letter to the Philippians shows us how this should affect our lives. If we believed on Jesus, if we have been saved, then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit will sanctify us so that we will adopt the same mind, the same attitude as Jesus. 
God calls us to a life of following his Son. If we identify with Jesus by faith, we will also humble ourselves, as he did, and follow him in obedience, dying to ourselves and our own desires. And this will have an impact on our interpersonal relationships. Look at what Paul says. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Verse 3 and then verse 4. Let each of, of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So it's putting this into practice, putting this all into practice. Jesus' incarnation and his sacrifice give us a whole new perspective on life. And Paul goes on to say, and starting in verse 14, again, I'll reread that. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. If we just adopt the same mind, the same attitude as Jesus, we're going to be lights shining in the darkness. It'll be inevitable. If we just live this out, we will shine for Jesus. Not because we're trying to shine, not that we're trying to draw attention to ourselves, but it's going to happen. People will see the love through us. And that's what's going to draw people to the Savior. Paul Paul uses the expression of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the working out does not mean working for. You know, we don't work for our salvation. The Bible makes that very clear. By grace are you saved through faith. But it's the outworking. The term is used for digging silver out of the earth. It's a digging out, the working out your own salvation. It means to bring it to an ultimate conclusion. God's work of sanctification in the life of the believer. And remember, it is God's work, according to verse 13. Both the willingness and the ability come from him. Our part, our part is to do it with fear and trembling. You see, God's work in our lives is is a serious matter. It shouldn't be taken lightly. We approach it with fear, a holy fear and trembling especially in the light of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And so, in the incarnation of Christ, we see both what God became for us and what God would have us to become in Christ. Now may the Holy Spirit of God apply these truths to our lives. Amen. Praise God.